Welcome everyone to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast. This is Mike Long, aka Bolt from the Blue. Uh, it's been a while since you've heard from us, guys. Uh, that's been mostly uh, my fault, all this moving in stuff into this uh, new apartment out of Incheon in South Korea. And in fact, uh, during that time, um, we have not reported on the last four games, actually five games. Looking back, there was Leeds United 1, Manchester City 1, Manchester City 1, Arsenal 0, City 3, Porto 1 in the Champions League, West Ham 1, Manchester City 1. And uh, also, of course, the game that we're really here to talk about is Manchester City uh, 3 zip winners against Marseille. And, uh, of course, as usual, uh, to talk about this game uh, with me, we have got our two regular contributors. First of all, we've got Colin Savage. How are you doing, Colin? I'm good, yeah. It's nearly Friday. Only two more days to go. Mm-hmm. Well, you've only got and, one more day today, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> and we've also got uh, Ray from City Fan TV. Ray, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mike. I'm doing very well indeed, thank you. Well, uh, let's uh, get started. Just before we get into the, the, the Marseille game, um, Colin Savage, obviously you've you heard that sort of string of results that uh, I mentioned uh, since uh, just before going into this game. Um, are we kind of a bit premature on using a term like defensive robustness um, when we're talking about City and, and their last um, several games? Would that be uh, unfair? Um, no, no, not in one sense, because... You know, we've only let in three goals in five games, so that would equate to something like, um, you know, 22 goals, 22, 23 goals over the season, say. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, in that sense, it's good. Um, have we looked? But there are times when we haven't looked robust, but all teams, you know, will will, uh, will give away goals at times. It, it, I think for the first time last night, we looked very, very solid. Uh, is what I'd say. Because um, against Arsenal, we're a bit lucky. Uh, that Leeds result was actually quite a good one in hindsight, wasn't it? Uh, we were all moaning about dropping points at Leeds and then um, United and Liverpool shipped 13 between them. So um, <laughs> that, say, that, that Leeds result suddenly got a lot better, didn't it, after the Sunday results? Um, I'd say Arsenal were a bit lucky. Porto, um, again, it was a bit nerve-wracking for a little while. West Ham, we probably could have done better, but uh, that you know, that was a pretty good goal, I think. Not many people would have would have stopped that. Uh, and I say Marseille last night, uh, I'm not sure Edison really had a serious shot to save, did he? I don't really think. I think I seem to remember there was one sort of speculative um, long distancer. But uh, what would you say, Ray, over the last sort of uh, four to five games, how would you assess uh, City's uh, overall form? Um, I, th- I think it's hard to say. Uh, honestly, we'll obviously talk more about Marseille. I don't think it, uh, Marseille's performance told us enough about City and where we're headed. You know, we've got this thing on social media where you've got your happy clappers and your doom mongers. You know, your pep out brigade. And um, against West Ham, it was the pep out brigade doing the shouting. After uh, Marseille, you got the happy clappers coming back and saying, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> your pep out brigade. So you, you got these two camps. I, I, I like to Try to position myself somewhere in the middle. Um, last night was a, obviously a, 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 we're recording this on um, on Wednesday. Last night was a, a good uh, performance and a good result, um, much better than uh, other ones we've had recently. But I think, as I said, I think that's partly down to Marseille. Teams in England they play differently um, when they play against City, and that's why I think we struggle a little bit more. Teams have a, seem to have a bit more energy against us. Um, I'm not one for blaming the defence so much yet. Um, my worry is still that transition. It's when we lose the ball and teams come at us and we just seem to uh, fold like a deck of cards. We wobble all over the place, not knowing where we're supposed to be in the positions. And I, I don't know if it's it's because you know Pep only wants a certain number of players in a certain play, areas of the pitch. But sometimes I feel we, we're just too slow uh, to, to chase back and leaving it to other people. But you've got a clean sheet, so you've got to be happy with that. Well, guys, let's get into this game against Marseille. And uh, here was the lineup: So, Ederson in goal, uh, Kyle Walker, 
then we have uh, this particular pairing that a lot of people are very excited about, and that's uh, Ruben Diaz and uh, Laporte, the centre-back pairing. We have Zinchenko in this game uh, at left-back. Then the return of Gundogan uh, with uh, Rodri and De Bruyne. And uh, up front, very interesting uh, strikerless formation, you might say, something that was forced upon us. Nonetheless, uh, this is what Pep went for. So Sterling, uh, Torres, uh, Ferran Torres, and uh, Phil Foden. What did you think about that particular uh, solution to all of our injury rows, uh, woes at the moment, uh, Colin? Well, I mean, that was not not a terrible team that we put out. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, would, Kevin De Bruyne was in there, who'd been injured. Obviously, um, Diaz and Laporte were partnered at centre-back. Um, Zinchenko at left-back was a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. But, um, you know, we've never been too wedded to the traditional centre-forward, really, have we? I mean, even when Gabriel Jesus plays, he plays very, very deep. Um, so, you know, we've seen Sterling play up uh, that role. Uh, it's not his best role, but he's done it. Um, Torres tried it last night for a while. Um, when he did okay. Um, you know, our, our style is not one where we lump it to a, you know, an Andy Carroll type, Alan Shearer type up front, is it? It's, um, you know, we can manage for a while. Yeah, obviously, we don't want to do it for too long, but f- for a while we can manage, I think. Yeah, Ray, we had uh, the two um, so-called want-away stars on the bench in uh, Mares and also uh, Garcia. Are we happy with this lineup? Uh, absolutely. Uh, um, no no um, problems for me. Um, a lot of fans have been calling for Ferran Torres and Foden to start. Uh, you know, we've seen some exciting moments from um, both these players this season. Uh, a lot of energy, youthful energy. I mean, Ferran Torres is 20 years old. He's just come to City. He's going to be giving it his everything to uh, prove to Pep that he should be starting games. Same with Phil Foden. City fan, he always gives it his everything. So I've been calling for this. I, I, ever since we uh, lost Aguero and Gabriel Jesus, and we've been using Maras in uh, that forward line in a, in a false nine, I've said it's not working for me because I don't think he, I don't think he gives enough in the chasing and the running department. And I want guys who've got legs, people like Torres, people like Sterling, Bernardo Silva, and um, Foden. Those are the four I would choose. I'll pick three out of those four to go up up top. And they will ch- they'll chase all day long. And I think that's what you need when you're playing a false nine. Centre-back pairing, we've been waiting for it. Ruben Diaz and uh, Laporte. Uh, I still wouldn't rule out Aki uh, pu- uh, pushing um, Laporte. And I think that's going to be good for us. Zin- obviously, Zinchenko was a bit of a surprise. I thought Concello had done enough to keep his position. But, you know, I, I don't mind um, giving Zinchenko a-, a game. And it-, it makes it slightly different as well. Um, and for me, I saw the triangles coming back. The triangles that we've we're so used to in the last few seasons, um, with our with our fullback, our left-sided midfielder, and our left winger, and the same on the other side, on the right-hand side, they were back as well. So um, very satisfied with that. Obviously, people are one. You know, the only gripe for some fans is we have Rodri and Gundogan together. People don't like that. But that seems to be Pep's way to go in Europe. So I think we just have to accept it. And uh, against a team like Marseille, I thought it was going to work because they weren't going to get enough of the ball and we were going to dominate possession and and, uh, territory as well. So I I think it worked uh, pretty well. Well, Colin Savage, after the game was over uh, on The Guardian, uh, they had these thoughts. While City will be rightly lauded for their performance... It would be a gross dereliction of journalistic duty if Marseille's general gutlessness went unremarked upon. They set up to contain, went a goal behind, and continued to try to soak up City's pressure in the hope of nicking a point late in the game. As home tactics go, they were fairly unambitious, but uh, Andre Villas-Boas would argue that his side risked an absolute hiding if they tried taking the game to the visitors, as it was they shipped in absolute hiding and the score flatters their performance. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, I wonder if they'll say the same thing about United, who played an absolutely useless uh, RB Leipzig side tonight. Uh, I, I suspect the media will have a slightly different slant on that. But uh, having said that, I was actually I was watching the game last night and, and uh, you know, w- watch games where we faced a 5-4-1 formation and thinking, 
it, it should be like uh, boxing, where you take off points uh, or, or warn opponents who are aren't um, boxing. Um, you know, if, if you see teams playing a five-four-one sat back, making no attempt to take the game to the opposition, um, they, they should lose a point straight away. You know, each half. That's that's my my probably controversial view. But um, I thought we were hugely effective last night because um, certainly for the first 20, 25 minutes, we penned Marseille back. You know, and when we play like we can play, which we did last night for a large part of the game, um, there's, there's very little teams can very little all but the very best teams can do against. And um, I, I think it's all right saying uh, Marseille were unambitious, but um, we, you know, we don't make it easy for teams to be ambitious, do we? Uh, and that's kind of been the price of success for us for the last couple of seasons. Uh, you know, teams will, will just try and get away with the um, perhaps, you know, even lowest possible, even when they're 1-0 down, they'll still try and contain the game in the hope of getting a, a goal. And so, you know, a number of times that's succeeded, hasn't it? So, you know, why should anyone who doesn't, uh, can't match us toe-to-toe change the, the way they play but but i say um it does turn football into a bit of a sad spectacle doesn't it when you get one team not attempting to uh, really you know play the game well uh let's get into that um first half ray and uh, colin mentioned the uh, uh first uh, 20 minutes in which i thought uh, de bruyne was particularly prominent what were your feelings about those uh, opening exchanges well i want to say up front marseille were were rank. Um, they, they, for me, they lost that game before they even stepped on the pitch. They give us far too, paid us far too much respect, give us far too much space and time uh, to do whatever we wanted. Uh, they, they give up on the pressing very quickly. And it, it, I, I tweeted um, was it this morning to um, a couple of French people, uh, Marseille fans, because they were they were really unhappy with their performance and with what the manager had done tactically. And what he said after the game, and I said, you know, you, you give us space and time, we will do that to you. Um, and you know, they concurred, they agreed that they far too much respect. Uh, and as I said, they lost the game before they stepped on the pitch. We controlled it pretty much from the kickoff. Um, it, it was, as I said, far too easy. Um, you know, we, we we had a different tempo. We were we were passing that ball a little bit quicker. We passed it as if uh, we meant it. Um, using Zinchenko and Walker out wide. Walker was uh, doing the inverted fullback business as well. And it got to a stage where Marseille were just playing further and further back. And, you know, I've not looked at the heat maps or whatever of the players, but I'm sure Walker would would have spent probably most of his uh, game in their half. I mean, that's how easy it was. But look, you've got to beat the team that's um, in front of you, regardless of how they set up and how they, you know, what they're playing like. And, and I think we controlled, uh, pretty much controlled the whole game. <clears throat> yeah, Colin Savage, a pretty, a pretty tight two banks of four in front of their goalkeeper. Um, precision passing and uh, a clinical edge is going to be needed. Obviously, um, Aguero out for this game. Gabriel Jesus out as well, of course. Um, what's your understanding of, of the latest situation with those two Um any of uh, how long do you think Aguero will be out for? And um, is the sort of reintroduction of uh, Jesus in any way imminent? Uh, I'm not sure. I think with Aguero, I'm just saying that he's going to be out for at least four weeks. So that that you know maybe he might be back after the international break um, because we've I think we've already told Argentina that the situation is not looking good for him um, from an international point of view, and you know. <laughs> We would be mad to send him to play internationals when he's not played for us. And, uh, um, you know, given the injury record he's had, you've got a question, why did he start three games when he's just come back? And we know with Aguero that he's a slow burner when when he comes back from injury. When he's missed some games, it takes him four or five games to even start looking like the Aguero of old. Uh, why, did we, why did we play him? I think Gabriel Jesus may be back, um, may be back in a couple of weeks, but... Some of the information we get out of City is so inconsistent, isn't it? And you do doubt it sometimes. Um, Ray, Ray, what 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 do you think of this um, solution that Pep uh, offered to our uh, attacking um, 
this sort of, you know, all this whole injury crisis situation. And um, he went with um, basically Torres as as the, the point mm. man in that front three. Goal on 18 minutes, of course. Maybe you can talk about that. And uh, how impressed are you with uh, his start to life in City Blue? Well, oh, lots of points there. Uh, firstly, I'll say, I, I think Pep said on Monday in the press conference that Gabriel Jesus will be out for seven to ten days. So, for me, if, if you take, take him at his word, that would mean he, he might be around for uh, uh, Olympiacos next week. Um, for me, I'd hope he gets a few minutes at the end of the game. We don't need probably to win that, and we shouldn't. You know, we're, we're top of the group. We, we should be. We, we can rest afford to rest a couple of players if we want. Bring him on for 10 or 15 minutes at the end. Get him ready for, I think we're playing Liverpool after that. Get him ready for that. Um, I think Aguero, like, we, we don't know what the club, club are doing. I've heard two stories. One, that if the prognosis is good, he'll be out for 15 days. If it's bad, it's 30 days. Um, he's been including, the, I think, the Argentina squad for the internationals. But I think uh, that's really uh, the man- Argentina manager uh, trying to be nice to Lionel Messi because they're good mates and he, want, he wants to just tell Lionel that, you know, we're holding out hope for, for Aguero, but they're not really. So that's that. Ferran Torres, and I like I like the idea of Ferran Torres down the middle because when uh, we've been playing Raheem Sterling there, I think we've been wasting him. Um, you know, we've looked, thought about it in the past. He's, he's played there in the past, a few years ago and he thought maybe he can do it. But for me, uh, running one-on-one on the keeper, he's he, he's not been putting him away which is a uh, feeling against West Ham. And he's much more suited to be out on the wing. Ferran Torres, for me, he look, he's taller. He's much taller than Raheem. I think Raheem's about five foot seven. And Ferran Torres is about 14 centimetres taller, which is off the top of my head, about four or five, five inches, let's say. So he's about five inches taller than Sterling. So he's got a bit more height. I think he's got a bit more physicality. Um, he's obviously got a good pace. So I, was, I much prefer to have Sterling on one wing, Foden on the other, and Ferran Torres down the middle. Um, uh, you know, put, putting pressure on the uh, on the defence a lot more than I think Sterling would do. And I think he's a, looking at it at the moment, and it's only been a few games, I think he's a better finisher in that situation where you've only got the goalie to be. Whereas I think Sterling tends to knock it along the uh, on the ground and just be happy, uh, hit it straight at the keeper and hope that you knock it under his body. Torres actually puts it in the net. So uh, that's what I've seen so far. But look, the kid scored two goals. He's got a goal yesterday. He's got a goal against Porto. It's a great start. I think he's got a couple of assists as well this season. Someone was telling me. So his numbers are actually quite good and he's not been playing that much. I think we, I said at the start of the season, before the season started, I think I was on this um, Algerian channel. They're asking me about Mares, big uh, channel. I think they've got over 100,000 followers on, on Twitter. And they asked me, what Hajmara is going to do. And I said, I think this could be his last season because unless he steps up, I think Ferran Torres, once he's comfortable playing for City, it might take three or six months, but I think he'll be pushing Mahrez for his starting spot. I might, by the end of the season, if he goes the way I think he might, he'll be um, first choice above Mahrez. That might happen sooner than we think because I think, you know, it's uh, night and day, the difference between Mahrez's performances generally this season and Ferran Torres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Colin Savage, what do you make of this thing about Mares? What what is what did you think of these stories where apparently he's been um, fluttering his eyelashes at PSG, and then of course I think he put out something later on saying that it had been mistranslated, uh, taken out of context. Uh, you know the usual thing. Um, what did you make of all of that? Well, he said he said it wasn't he wasn't quoted correctly. So I guess you have to take him at face value on that. Um, it was a strange one, Morris. He didn't fit, fit the uh, pattern. Uh, seemed to be this, our sort of player. Um, but technically, he's a brilliant player. Uh, and when he's on form, I mean, that pass to Kevin De Bruyne for the, the third goal last night was excellent. And, you know, we've seen it. everyone was raving about Phil Foden bringing a ball, high ball down last night. Morris does that every time. Um so Technic is a brilliant player, but he's not quite, he's never quite adapted to our system. Sometimes he looks as though he has, um, and sometimes he doesn't. Um, I think like like many players, the squad, he's, he's not been that impressive since the start of the season. But you know, that, that could be down to a lot of facts. And I, I think um, he did a lot more last night in his substitute appearance than he did 
in the previous games he started, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, Colin, um, just staying with you for a moment, um, same question to you that I uh, asked of Ray. What what's your first impression of the of the new boy Ferran Torres? And uh, and also tell us about that goal. Well, he looks he looks really good, doesn't he? He's, he's quite quick, uh, which which Mares isn't, to be fair. You know, Mares is a great technical player, but he's not quick. Um, Torres seems to be quick. He seems to does seem to have an eye for goal. Uh, and you have to remember, he's only just joined us. I think what well, that was his I think, third start, wasn't it, last night? Mm-hmm. And um, he was playing in a, an unfamiliar position, really. And uh, I thought he did, um, certainly in the first half, he did really well. Um, the, the goal came, quite a weird goal, actually, because um, we were pressing. It was early in the game, uh, 18th minute. We were pressing Marseille very, very intensively at that point. The ball was played kind of back across their area. And uh, one of their defenders, um, uh, Kaleta Carr, uh, just kind of stood and watched the ball. He looked like he was going for it. Then he kind of let it go past him. And um, it's Kevin De Bruyne, wasn't it? Um, uh, got hold of the ball, which he didn't look favourite for initially. And uh, he crossed the ball and Torres got to it just before the keeper did. I mean, I, I did um, jokingly say on Twitter, and I emphasise it jokingly, he'll soon learn to pass instead of shoot. Um, and one or two people took me rather too seriously. Um, but, you know, when we complained about City players uh, taking a pass when they should be shooting, um, he didn't really have much choice there, I, I guess. it was, uh, But it was a well-taken goal. And, you know, we've seen us miss those, haven't we? Um, Ray, I, I've, I've been thinking about um, what else I can uh, bring up in that first half. Uh, one thing does uh, spring to mind. I thought um, I was quite impressed... Uh, with uh, Zinchenko, he had an effort that just uh, scraped the paintwork, and um, I was it kind of set me thinking about what uh, what you reckon his prospects are. Um, uh, what did you think of uh, his certainly his performance in, in the first half, and um, do you think that um, with the left back situation, he's going to get more opportunities or significantly more uh, chances uh, this season? Uh, um, I think he had a decent game. Um, you know, I. I I think like everybody, no one had a poor game. He offers something different to Cancelo. Um, he's still got a rick in him. I still think he's got a mistake in him every game uh, because that's not his position. Maybe he's getting slightly better at it. But he offers us those triangles that I talked about earlier. Um, he offers us you know, going on the outside, um, putting good crosses in. I think he's probably a better passer than Mendy. It'd be interesting to see what Pep does when Mendy's back. But for me... Mendy's third, he could even be third choice for me. Uh, I'd rather have Concello, who I think is more exciting going forwards, or Zinchenko, let's see how he, how he does. What's his future? Well, he won't leave. <laughs> I think that's that's the situation. A couple of seasons ago, I um, was at a Centurion season, he could have left to go to either Real Betis wanted him and looked like Wolves had a deal. Um, that didn't happen. And um, he wanted to stay at City. You know, he, I, I think we've talked about him before. I said, you know, City kind of rescued him from the wilderness uh, in, in Ukraine because they were having, obviously, the issues with Russia there. And uh, he had a massive debt of gratitude to City for basically resurrecting his career. And, uh, he, you know, Pep, Pep likes him. He's always got a smile. Pep's always talking about that. Never has a sad face. Uh, always shows, you know, if he makes a mistake, he always puts his hand up and, you know, carries on. He doesn't um, hide after a mistake. So it's interesting that he wouldn't leave again this summer. So, you know, is he going to stay till the end of his contract? Are we going to want to keep him? Is he is he versatile enough? Because we never see him playing in midfield. So, you know, which is where he plays for the Ukraine. Or for Ukraine, sorry. Um, so is his only option left back? What's going to happen when, you know... It, if, when we move Mendy on, because I think last summer Sam Lee said that City would would, would have been happy to sell Mendy, but he was injured. Uh, he'd been out of form. Well, he'd been injured basically, and no one was going to pay a good um, transfer fee for him. Um, no one wants to pay for his wages. So, um, and he was injured anyway, so we we couldn't even do, think about doing that. So I don't know what the future is for Zinchenko because if we do go out eventually buy a new left back, how far down the pecking order will he be? You know, will he be third? And is he? He's obviously happy to be third choice because he knows he'll get games, um, and it's a great place to be. And whenever you leave City, generally, um, you're the only way is down. So I can see him just staying till as long as he can, clinging on to City as long as he can. 
The other uh, person that um, uh, sort of put me in a in a position of uh, uh, responding to a lot of these remarks on Twitter about um, Pep uh, Pep's love for uh, Gundogan in in Europe um, makes me wonder what do you think it is about. Uh, him in Europe, particularly, uh, Colin, that, um, I, I mean, if my memory serves correctly, he's been just so prominently selected uh, by Pep uh, so many times in Champions League games, uh, particularly. What, what does he have, um, as far as you can see? Well, I read an article about uh, Gundogan and why Pep liked him that, that basically said uh, Gundogan, a bit like De Bruyne, has the ability to pause for a second before he makes a pass and, and to tell, take in everything that's going around. Now, I'm a, I'm a fan of Gundogan. Sometimes he doesn't have a great game, but he rarely loses the ball. There's always a pass there. He always knows where the ball is going. There are occasionally some very, very good passes. It, he, he seems to come alive in Europe, doesn't he? He's always good for a goal or two, as he, as he was last night. And of course, that memorable game against Barcelona a few seasons ago. Um, he's just got experience. You know, he's experienced, he, he has that ability to just take a second, as I say, to, to, to have a look around and know what he's going to do. And, um, yeah, he's not the quickest. Um, you won't want him as a defensive midfielder. I don't think he has that in, in his armoury. But, but to me, he's just, you know, he's, he's a very solid, intelligent, reliable player. Well, despite that, Ray, nothing um, particularly in the first 20 minutes of the second half and um, people were a little bit surprised at Pep's first substitution. So uh, Zinchenko off and Jao Cancelo on. Did you really understand that? Yeah, because Zinchenko's been out injured. Uh, he played a few minutes at the end of the, the game against West Ham, uh, which surprised everybody. Um, but maybe you can see why he, he, he did that, because if you remember against West Ham, Kyle Walker has been one of our best players this season, playing just about every game. He was, he was uh, putting in another good performance. And... Joao Cancelo was doing pretty well on the left. Most of our attacking threat was on the left against West Ham. Pep decided to bring Zinchenko on, take Kyle Walker off and switch uh, Cancelo to the other side and we lost our attacking threat. So, But you can see now why he played, uh, brought Zinchenko on, give him a few minutes because he probably had him in mind to start this game against Marseille. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it, it wasn't a massive su- surprise um, simply because he... He's been out injured, so you want you know if you're going to change things up a little bit, um, he's a man to, to take off. You know, like we did with Aguero in, in his first two games, we took him off after about uh, 60, 65 minutes. You can't put too much into somebody once they've been if they've been out for several weeks. Um, so it, it wasn't a massive surprise for me. Mm. Interesting um, moment. Um, a few minutes later, Colin Savage. Um, one of the advantages, uh, or uh, I believe one of the effects of these um, uh, crowdless uh, encounters because of uh, COVID is that uh, some of the journals are able to hear exactly um, what can be said by uh, the various players. And uh, I think it was uh, on the occasion of uh, Sterling pull back to Gundogan, who fired straight at the keeper, and then the referee stopped uh, play to book one of their players for a lunge on uh, De Bruyne. And um, apparently uh, Sterling was heard to say he could have killed him. (laughs) It just reminded me slightly of that thing about, you know, Alex Ferguson saying pretty much the same thing when some kicked a ball at the head of his, uh, um, one one of his players. I remember that was... It was uh, Van Persie, wasn't it? Yeah, Van Persie, that's right. More than a... More than a touch of hyperbole from uh, Sterling uh, there, but um, anyway, we... I was going to say, Mike, they were they were kicking KDB quite a bit because there was a yes. two-footed tackle, and it, you know, in, on the edge of the box uh, where the guy landed on KDB's foot, and he, he was down for quite a while. I was concerned that he, you know, he could have broken a metatarsal or something, and he had, a, I think, two or three really bad tackles on him. I think yeah. one player's got booked for them, but it was. It was over the top. Uh, um, you know, it's it's like you know he's our best player, so let's target him. Mm-hmm. Well, we we mentioned Gundogan, uh, guys, for a reason because after that uh, shot uh, straight at the keeper, just a couple of minutes later, and he was responsible, Ray, for uh, 
goal, goal number two with both Foden and, and Sterling uh, prominent in that one as well. What did you think? Can you talk us through that one? Yeah, um, I think uh, Foden, uh, nice, some nice play down the left. He got past his man and uh, he just stood the ball up. Um, made sure it, it was too um, high and far for the keeper. He stood it up and Sterling came in at the far post. Now, some people said he, he tried to head it down, nod it down to Ferran Torres. I'm not so sure. I think he had his eyes closed. Um, you know, I need to see it again. I haven't watched the game again since yesterday. Um, but he headed the ball across the six-yard area, past Ferran Torres, and Gundogan uh, stole in Frank Lampard-esque late on and just uh, calmly steered the ball left-footed past the keeper. Um, it was a well-taken goal. You know, it shows what someone can do in that situation with a calm head. You know, there's there's no panic, and he just made sure he he steered it away from the keeper. As I said, a, a well taken goal, and I think at that point, um, Marseille the players the, their heads dropped. They were finished. They knew there was no way back, and I think from then on, we we did have there was a lot more open spaces, a lot more opportunities. They weren't working as hard. They weren't trying to press us properly. Uh, you could see a few of them were. were Taking it, I won't, I won't say seriously, but they weren't the same. And I mean, it was that bad they brought Payet on, and Payet is patently unfit. He's, you know, there's no, for me, he's not fit enough to be playing yet. Um, and they brought him on. I mean, you know, took a few players off, you know, changed things up. But I think, as I said, it was comfortable from us, for us uh, from then on in. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned that, uh, Ray. It was, seemed like a ghosts of Premier League players past. You had Payet coming on for. Uh, Florian Tova, and then City made a triple substitution. The whole thing at that point, it made you feel a little bit like a training game. Again, Laporte and uh, Torres and Gundogan went off, and they were replaced by like, Johnny Stones, uh, Bernardo, and uh, Riyad Mahrez. Um, but uh, very quickly uh, after that, I mean, it was we had to wait like three minutes, and um, one of those uh, incoming uh, subs, uh, Morris uh, and De Bruyne, uh, Colin, were responsible for the third goal. Yeah, um, I say that was a cracking goal. Um, Morris took the ball and um, KDB made a really intelligent run and Morris played him in absolutely superbly. Um, it wasn't quite a reverse pass, but it was kind of of that ilk. He took out two defenders and uh, De- Kevin had the simplest of tasks to uh, cross the ball for um, Sterling to prod home. I mean, that, that was, a, a, you know, that was a typical Manchester City goal, wasn't it? Like a you know? knife through butter, Ray. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a great goal. It reminded me, actually, it, 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 there was a lot of passing around the back before that. Um, yeah, um, the Arsenal goal, you're going to say. Yeah, that, it reminded me of that. You know, the Arsenal goal was, was better because... We were passing it in in tighter situations with the uh, Arsenal player was, was Arsenal players were snapping at us, whereas Marseille they weren't as um, they didn't have the same intensity. But we passed it around a lot of the back, nice and easy, calmly. And it's the way City do it. And, and the thing is, when there's an end product, it's a fabulous, fantastic goal. But sometimes we do a lot of this passing. Uh, like we did against West Ham, and then, then nothing happens, and we're doing. It feels like we're passing for passing's sake, but there is a purpose to it. They are looking for that opening, that half chance to to nip in between players, um, and to create something. And yeah, the, the Maris pass. It was like it was. It's kind of a as Colin said, it's half a reverse pass, half a no look pass as well. The Marseille defenders. I mean, honestly, someone should have gone with KDB. I don't understand why KDB passed the ball to Mares, ran off. And two players went to Maras and no one went to KDB. It was quite simple. It was an easy cross, as Colin said, for, for Raheem to tap home. Um, um, he was well beyond the Mar- uh, Marseille player who just <laughs> collapsed on the floor. I mean, they were a well-beaten side. Uh, a lot, you know, I, think, I don't know if I mentioned it, but a lot of Marseille fans were extremely uh, unhappy with the, with the performance. But look, we, you know, we, we can only beat what's put in front of us. We beat them quite comfortably. A lot of players got some minutes uh, in, in the legs and hopefully that will carry us on in a good, positive frame of mind. Because actually, to the weekend, the players, the City had pictures of the players who are lounging in the pool, um, you know, and, and spending more time in Marseille rather than just fly back straight after the game. Just, I think they spent the night in Marseille. Uh, weather's just a little bit warmer and drier than Manchester. And uh, so, yeah, they had, they had a good time. 
And uh, I think now they have to skedaddle before um, France goes into lockdown this week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Colin, uh, Porto um, beat Olympiacos. City top of the group, six points. Porto is second on three, just ahead of Olympiacos and goal difference. Um, Pep really needed this result and uh, he could um, have cause to celebrate it even more. If City are able to put this uh, group to sleep very early, then this is going to help in what's going to be a very, very uh, congested um, run of games uh, later on. What, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we play Olympiacos uh, home and away next two games. Yeah, I think even if we take four points from those games, you'd expect us to take six. Uh, if we take six, we're, we're home and dry, aren't we? Uh, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if Porto and Marseille can cancel each other out. You know, a, a couple of draws there makes it even better for us. So, yeah, um, you know, the quicker we can put the group to bed, given the uh, number of games we've got, the better. Say, if we can beat Olympiacos twice, Porto and Marseille, a couple of draws, um, then we can almost turn the kids out for the last two games, can't we? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, well, everything Rosie Ray in the uh, Champions League garden uh, hasn't been that way uh, in the in the Premier League. I think. We're thirteenth, maybe in the moment. At the moment, isn't that right? Only five games, of course. But um, uh, just at the top of the pod, when we were going through um, that list of uh, results, obviously, as we noted, haven't really conceded very many, and that's a, a positive thing. Haven't scored that much either. What are your concerns uh, looking forward, Ray? Um, my concerns. I think we just got to be consistent. Um, I've been concerned in every game that we've given far too many chances uh, in the transition we've wobbled against. Uh, you know, I, I go back all the way to Wolves and we beat them 3-1. Wolves had three very good chances, very presentable chances to score, I think, before they did finally score. Um, against Leeds, we started like a house on fire. And in, in pretty much every game in, in the early part of the season, we started like a house on fire, 20, 30 minutes. You know, it was like we were playing pretty well, wonderful uh, almost. And then we suddenly hit a brick wall. We were tired. And as Pep refers to, you know, we've not had a rest in the summer. We've had four or five weeks. I think our last Champions League game was on the 15th of August and our first Premier League game was on the 19th of September. So five weeks off and that's it. In that five weeks, we're supposed to have a rest. We're supposed to have a pre-season. And before the season starts, the players go off to international duty. So what pre-season did we have? It was an absolute mess. And we started the season with so many injuries, four injuries, three guys out with COVID, and we've had eight injuries since. What concerns me, and the injuries concern me, we can't keep going through a season with this many injuries. We we, we don't get that consistency. You know, Nathan Aki plays a few games. He's looking promising. He's played centre-back. He's played left-back. Wow, you know, we, we've got ourselves a, a good player, you know, uh, and then he's injured. Aguero comes back, he's injured. He gets injured within three games. Gabriel Jesus, he's injured. Fernandinho comes, plays a few minutes without warming up, he's injured. So that's got to be a concern. My my other concern was the transition. You know, we we wobble too easily, and and there's been a lack of concentration as well. Uh, I don't know, you know, what that stems from, but we saw it against Leicester, lack of concentration. We we see it in other games, uh, but it it also feels as we're getting players back, as they're getting fitter, we're getting a little bit better, and it's slowly slowly getting better. Hopefully, it's you know, and, and, but it's also marginal as well. People seem to forget. Against West Ham, for instance, we drew one all. A lot of knives were out for Pep. Raheem Sterling missed two one-on-ones, you know. Other opportunities were, were missed where, you know, Riyad Mahrez, of all people, failed to control a pass. Concello failed to control a pass when Raheem Sterling was in the, uh, you know, six-yard area, unmarked, and it would just been a tap-in. So, you know, if we'd beaten West Ham four or five, which which was possible, um Nobody would be saying anything. We'd be uh, saluting Pep and you know carrying him on our shoulders again. So the the, the margins, it's always fine margins. Even against Leicester, if if Fernandinho scored that goal when we were winning, you know that header, I think we were winning one nil. You go two up, and then it looks comfortable. So you, we are down in thirteenth. We've got a game in hand. Win that. Everybody says win that with two points off the top. Uh, goal difference is horrendous because it's zero after five games, which is unheard of. But that pace that Leicester has done done for us there so generally it looks positive I mean we're only we're only going to find out in I think in the next two games we've got Sheffield United at the weekend I think Liverpool 
the weekend after that. So we'll find out really where we are, I think, in the next few games because we're playing a, a Sheffield United team that are in the bottom three. Uh, I think that's where I predicted them to be this season. And then we're going to play, obviously, Liverpool side, who are currently second. So I think that's, we, we, as I said, we're going to find out where we are and how we're going in the next few games. Yeah, it's very interesting, uh, Colin. Obviously, Liverpool have learned that um, Fabinho has done his hamstring, and that's in addition, of course, to the loss of Virgil van Dijk. Colin, um, I don't know if you're looking at the league table like Ray and I obviously are, but is there any what, what teams have impressed you now that we've we're six games in? Obviously, City, um, Villa, United, Burnley, not Burnley, yeah, Burnley are still on five. Everyone else on six. Um, what are your what has struck you about uh, the the first six games and and who's impressed you? Well, I I always say you you can't really tell the shape of the table properly until we're at least six games in. And and obviously, the, the team who stand out at the moment are Everton. Um, obviously, they got beat at Southampton, which is... But, but I think Southampton are a better team than um, they, they, they've always looked. Um, so, uh, I, I do my column for King of the Kipaks, to give King of the Kipaks a plug. And uh, I, 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 in the last one, I did my predictions for the, for the season. And... Um, I had Villa going down as um, in nineteenth place, which looks a little bit silly at the moment. So, so obviously they've been really impressive. I mean, um, uh, defensively they've been um, the best. They are the best team in the division. They've only let five goals in, and whereas Liverpool have let fourteen in already in six games. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting going down the goals against Colin because um, you know it's it's around the even for the better teams it's it's around the eight or nine mark. Eight for us, uh, eight for Wolves, who are usually solid. Nine for Leeds, eight for Spurs, uh, eight for Leicester, uh, nine for Everton, nine for Chelsea. Um, uh, United have let 12 in after that six-goal thrashing. Um, Sheffield United um, is an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, obviously they did really well last season. But uh, watching them this season, it, it's uh, they've been worked out. Uh, and they look like... At the moment, they look like a championship team, which is struggling to keep pace in the Premier League. Whereas last season, they were a breath of fresh air, weren't they? Um, you know, we're seeing clubs like Chelsea, Chelsea Arsenal, us and United. Um, well, Chelsea are just about in the top half um, on nine points. But, you know, those two teams, those four teams, 10th and below. Uh, so it's quite a strange table at the moment. And I think the, the problems that we're having, you know, um, intensity of games and injuries and lack because of lack of rest um, are impacting all the teams. But, and and it, I think it's significant that Everton with Carlo Ancelotti, you know, I've got their heads above the parapet a little. Mm-hmm. It is, Ray, isn't it? It's, it's a, a funny looking table, especially when you look at the uh, goal columns. And as uh, Colin pointed out, like, apart from... Maybe Villa have conceded five. Everyone is up around that uh, seven, eight, nine mark conceded. Uh, it's a, a a bit of a silly season. Also, the goals scored, like the top seven, all comfortably into double yeah. figures. Um, and then uh, Chelsea and, and West Ham as well. Well, it's actually uh, interesting, Mike. Here, we say seven, eight, nine. There's only one team that's letting seven. That's yeah. Arsenal. Every single other team who played five or six games uh, have let in eight nine or more, which is, it feels like a lot to be letting in one and a half goals a game. Um, for so many teams, you know, that that accounts for the teams that are letting eight or more, that's 18 teams in the league. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, 18 teams. And you're looking at, you're looking at just above the, the teams above the relegation zone, it, uh, at that sort of rate of letting goals in. Yeah. You know, six, um, 60 goals. I mean, last season, West Ham letting 62. Newcastle fifty eight. Um, it, it was only the teams, teams, the bottom five teams, letting over, let, all letting over sixty. Yeah, uh, and that's the sort of range we're looking at at the moment. You know, it's, it's crazy, crazy, crazy I mean, really, isn't it? We look at. I mean, actually, it's weird. You've got Burnley and Sheffield United in the bottom two who have let in nine goals. You know, and then you look up the top, Everton the top, they've let in nine goals. Liverpool are letting fourteen. You know. Uh, Leeds are sixth, letting nine. Southampton seventh, and Crystal Palace eighth, letting nine. Chelsea letting nine. They're tenth. So it, it's a crazy old thing. Obviously, the the, the difference is Burnley and Sheffield United can't score goals for Toffee, and uh, they've only scored three goals um, um, all season each. So it, it's it's a funny old thing. And and like we say, you know, we're we're 
I mean, Spurs are at eight, eight silly minutes against West Ham away from being top of the table. I mean, you know, um, as we keep, our fans keep saying, we're one win away from, um, well, not being fifth, we'll be, you know, we'll be two points off top if we win our game in hand. So, you know, but it's, 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 it's interesting, but it, it's also worrying that we've had five games, we've only won two, which is a, which is a shock to only win two out of five. Um, and I just think, as I said earlier, we just need now to have a sustained run of games where we're winning. You know, we've, we've beat um, Marseille, we've got to beat Sheffield United that weekend, we've got to. I, I, you know, if we if we really want to yeah, challenge yeah. for the title, we've got to. Um, we can't fall further behind. And then beat Olympiacos and then go into the Liverpool game buzzing. Um, you know, I don't know whether Fabinho will still be out. You know, we always want the best, you know, the teams to have their best players playing. Uh, but it is what it is. If he's out, um, you know, they'll have to adapt. Uh, and, and we have to take advantage of that. You know, I think Matip's injured as well at the moment, if I'm, if I'm right. Um, and they've got Joe Gomez. They'll have to end up playing a kid or something else. So, you know, if, if that's the case, we have to we have to um, go on a run now. We, we can't afford... And people are saying it's going this season might be won by 80 points or something and teams yeah. are going to lose games. You can't rely on that. It's what it's one thing to say. I mean, yeah, you saw yeah, yeah, teams will lose games more than they're expecting. But you know, Liverpool and Everton, uh, Liverpool definitely. You know, who's to say that they won't go on a decent run? They, they have not been so good since the, just before the restart, before we locked down back in March. Um, but you know, you can't just rely on other teams losing it and handing you the title. You've got to go out there and win the games, and you've got to deserve it. Uh, guys, uh, let's move on to. A slightly different issue, something that uh, piqued my uh, curiosity. Of course, uh, everyone has uh, learned that uh, President Bartomeu at uh, Barcelona has resigned his uh, board uh, with him under extreme pressure from the Barca fans. Um, Reports also that uh, in training, uh, the journals were all over this. It looked like uh, Messi had cracked a smile for the first time in in weeks, understandably, I guess. Um, you reckon that will um, put an end to any sort of uh, prospects of Messi coming in the, in the summer? What do you think, Ray? Ooh, um, well, there's still a lot to think about. There's still a lot to consider. Um, it, and it's not a move that was unexpected. You know, um, Bartomeu has been on the edge. He's been on the brink for a while. I think it really depends on who the next president is. That's the first thing. Who the next manager is, which sounds a bit weird because Cuban's only just arrived, but I think they're already thinking about that. This talk of Xavi coming back, uh, and I think also what actually could swing the whole thing is what the COVID nineteen situation is going to be, uh, because it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. Messi's family don't want to leave Barcelona. Apparently, his kids were crying uh, when he said, you know, wanted to, said he wanted to leave Barcelona. Um, they don't really want to leave. I mean, that's all they know. I mean, he's been there for 20 years. Now, the way I thought he could get around it is the same way Pep does it now. His family are in Spain and he's in Manchester and he he was going to see them. That's what he was doing, I think, once his uh, wife and his youngest daughter went back to, to Barcelona last year. And I thought Messi could do the same. You know, it doesn't take long to get from, uh, you know, after a game to get to the airport, get on a plane. An hour and a half later, you're in Barcelona, you know, a private jet, whatever. And I thought he could do that. <laughs> it's a it's a long commute, but I thought he could do that and, and, and stick with his family. So I think that's actually could be the biggest driver of all of this, because if he's forced to quarantine and this talk in France already, they're talking today about uh, uh, possibly uh, no one's allowed in. You know, they're locking down and they might not even let sports people in. So if that happens, how do you play your Champions League games? You know, if you have to quarantine or you're not even allowed in the country. So there's lots of issues going on. That actually might be the driver of what happens to Messi, but there's lots of other things. If you put that aside, as I said, who's the, who's the president? Who's the manager? Uh, how are you getting on? I mean, Messi, was, he might have cracked a smile today, but I don't think he was happy at the end of the uh, El Clasico with Real Madrid, where they got beaten. Uh, you know, he was, uh, I think he cut a disconsolate figure. So Barcelona aren't going to get suddenly wonderfully better anytime soon especially in the Koeman. You know, it, look, it, you never know what's going to happen. Look at Bayern Munich last season. They got embarrassed by Liverpool in the Champions League, start the season off poorly, change managers, and suddenly they're the best team going uh, and look extremely dangerous this season already. They've pumped some teams already this season in Germany. 
So you just don't know what's going to happen. But I still say it's 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 not cut and dried that he's going to stay at Barcelona. Um, I think this story's got a long way to run yet. Well, guys, we're just at the uh, 56 uh, minute uh, mark. I uh, just want to ask this very general question out to both the guys. If there are any other items um, that you'd like to talk about, City related or not, um, anything that's uh, struck um, your fancy, uh, Colin Savage, either on social media or from anything else you've been reading? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, my um, great interest is finances and um United published their, um, not quite the, well, it was the full-year accounts, or not the full-year accounts, or basically their fourth-quarter accounts, because they're, of course, um, quoted on the stock market, therefore they have to follow a certain sequence, whereas the majority of clubs are privately owned. And um, it, it laid bare the, really, the, the financial havoc that COVID-19 has played on their finances. So uh, when they published the last accounts to the end of March, the covid a lockdown, uh, fan lockout was only just kicking in, but uh, now we can see the full impact of that. And, um, uh, they dropped about uh, £120 million from revenue to from about 630 to just over £500 million. You know, no, uh, no fan income in the last quarter. Um, a lot of TV broadcasting money was down. Uh, I'm not sure how that worked out because I think uh, there was a deal done with the with the broadcasting company before the, before restart, so so they may have got some money of that back. Um, they they seem to be struggling to attack, attract a shirt sponsor because they've extended Chevrolet's deal free of charge, effectively for another six months. So uh, it was the first real view we've got of how um, COVID has impacted football clubs' finances. Um, all club all clubs are, are probably we're less impacted by um, match day revenue, loss, loss of match day revenue, will have been hit by loss of broadcasting revenue in the same way. So it'd be interesting to see these accounts maybe out the next end of November, something like that. So it'd be interesting to see how badly we're impacted. But um, United were so badly impacted that at the end of the third quarter, to the end of March, they'd drawn down 140 million of their 150 million basically overdraft uh which they seem to have released so i think because they probably got some tv money in but uh, it shows a level of panic i think running through the football industry even even for a club as fi- as financially strong as united mm. yeah um, on the, on the finances i read on the bbc united apparently and i, I couldn't confirm this they said they lost uh, the bbc said they lost 70 million pounds due to covid I don't know how they worked that out. Uh, I couldn't come up with that that number, but I've not looked at the accounts. I'm not sure where the BBC got their numbers from either. But So that's one thing. We heard today that there's been a takeover uh, bid launched for Burnley for £200 million. I think someone else, someone's already interested in Burnley, but somebody else is from the Middle East, wants to buy uh, Burnley for £200 million. You know, th- that does raise a, a bit of an eyebrow because with Newcastle available for about £300 million, you know, who would you go for, Burnley or Newcastle? So it does look a strange one. That. It sounds crazy, that one, because with Newcastle, there's a huge upside, potentially, with Burnley. You know, you can't see that, can you? Yeah, well, you're not going to get the fan. The fan base isn't there, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, but you never know. I mean, as I some 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 wag said, uh, he might be a friend of the Glazers or uh, John Henry, uh, this fellow who wants to buy Burnley. And... Uh, uh, well, that wag was me, uh, and as I said, um, once the big picture thing came out, I said, if they need the votes, there's one way to get the votes you buy the cheapest clubs out there, um, and you get you, you know, friends of whoever on to owning those clubs. Because if you can get Burnley for 200 million and uh, get a couple more friendly clubs like that, you know, um, you can swing the vote, and in the long term. In the long run, that's going to be hugely advantageous to Man United and Liverpool if they could have got that power. So, you know, I never say that's not going to ever happen. Um, another piece of news, and I've got to say it's sad news, uh, 17-year-old Jeremy Whiston, um, he, he died um, a couple of days ago, two or three days ago, and uh, there's been a lot of tributes out to him. I think he was a former academy player. I don't know the full details of, of surrounding his death but it appears he took his own life after being released and that's very sad I've talked, we talked about it on, on my channel my show and just try to tell people you know even in some of your darkest moments 
it's it's a cliche, but time does it heals a little bit, uh, and you've got to give things time and talk to people. Don't you know? Don't keep things bottled up uh, and, and try and find someone to talk to. So that's a little bit of sad news. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, reach out, guys. Uh, there's there there has been an interesting trend on on Twitter that I've noticed where uh, people in a bit of distress will actually um, go on Twitter and. Um, you know, perhaps seek a little bit of um, uh, comfort and a little bit of uh, affirmation. And uh, it's great to see people responding to those uh, posts. So, yeah, that that it, it, mental health is uh, something that is a, a growing uh, cause for concern, especially in, in the lockdown. But, uh, guys, just as we wind up, um, anything else across your radar, uh, Colin or Ray, just before we uh, sign off for this one? Uh, the, the, the only other thing is, of course, um, the chairman of the FA being dragged into this row about Project Big Picture, uh, originally claiming he knew nothing about it, that it seems, according to David Conn at least, uh, that he was one of the instigators behind it. Uh, and the FA were looking to basically set up a Premier League 1 and 2. So so that's an interesting one. We're going to keep, obviously, uh, obviously Conn's being fed the information from somewhere. Um, and... Um, it's a bit football writing's a bit like crime. Uh, you always look for a motive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, so, so, yeah, but keeping an eye on that one. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. And also, Ray, something that I found uh, um, very amusing was a certain Twitter spat between Gary Lineker <laughs> and uh, our friend Miguel Delaney. <clears throat> and I was saying, <laughs> I was saying on Twitter, I was so disappointed. I, I wanted to get in on that conversation, but unfortunately, you've been blocked. <clears throat> I've been blocked by him long, long time ago <laughs> for a very innocuous question, in my view. Uh, I think Colin agreed with the with the fact that it was a a very harmless um, a question. But anyway, um, what what was your take on that, Ray? Well, a lot of people were very happy to see uh, Gary Lineker slap uh, Miguel Delaney. Down, I read it. I can't remember all the details now, but um, it's, it's always when it's on your side, it's always wonderful to see a person that you don't like or, or don't respect. Um, you know, basically, I think Lineker pulled his underpants down on that one, uh, and Miguel tries to fight his corner, but it's not worth it, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I know, but I, I just, um, Colin, what, what exactly was uh, Mr. Lineker's um, cause for? Uh, complaint there. Can you well, fill us it, in a little bit? It was about uh, I did make an exception and read that article. The headline was uh, knocking Sterling. I actually read the article. It wasn't totally unfair, but 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 Lineker obviously had a go at Delaney for being constantly negative, uh, you know, and uh, looking for the worst and stuff like that. Uh, and eventually, both deleted their original tweets, but. Um, I think the damage was done. And, uh, I, I say it wasn't. Of all Miguel Delaney's crimes and in inverted commas, uh, it certainly wasn't the worst of them. <laughs> but, but it um, there was uh, another good know. one as well. What's that, Ray? I was going to say there was another good one. I think it was Amazon Prime. They put out a tweet, yes. and it was something. <laughs> I, I, I Colin probably remembers what, more. What's than me. the worst opinion you in football? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there was and actually, some crackers on that one. There's some great ones. Obviously, Miguel Delaney appears several times uh, <laughs> in that he's, you know, if you've got a top 10, Miguel Delaney must appear four or five times. But then you've got the crackers like, um, was it Phil Thompson saying Kevin De Bruyne, I, I just the world's gone bonkers. Uh, you got the takes, um, you know, who is it? Ollie Holt saying uh, Aguero's the highest profile signing of the summer, but I still think Charlie Adams is the best buy. Uh, that summer, that was 10 years ago. Uh, and some absolute crazy ones. And you'll have um, Merson as well. Tackling one, you know, about uh, if Pep thinks he can win the Premier League without tackling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there was one where they were having to go at Yaya. Too. Was it Phil Thompson again? Having to go at yeah, Yaya yeah. too. And said, you know, he's he's, he's an all right defensive midfielder. But since you've already got, you know, uh, De Jong and uh, Gareth Barry. And so, what, you know, and, and so it's, it's always... Um, uh, satisfying, very satisfying to see these uh, big mad pundits uh, when they get it wrong. They do come. These comments do come back to um, to haunt you. My my personal favourite was um, uh, the fact that uh, Jordan Ibe was going to be the uh, the solution <laughs> to the loss uh, of uh, Raheem Sterling for Liverpool. Well, guys, um, 
thank you so much for listening and for being patient with us while um, I get my act together over here in uh, South Korea with this apartment move. But uh, we're back on track and uh, we'll be back with you uh, very, very shortly. Uh, thank you so much to uh, our two contributors, our two regular contributors who who haven't lost faith and are always here, uh, available for Bolt from the Blue. You've been listening to King of the Kipax writer, Mr. Colin Savage, a.k.a. Presswitch Blue, on Twitter. Thank you so much, Colin, for coming on. Oh, it's been fun, yeah. Um, Help me forget my migraine for a while. Oh, oh dear. And we've also been listening to Ray from City Fan TV, who, unlike Bolt from the Blue, has been putting out videos constantly. Um, It's been fantastic. Thank you so much, Ray, for coming on. Thank you so much. I've just got to give a quick plug. It's the FA Cup final on Sunday. Manchester uh-huh. City women's versus Everton women at Wembley, but obviously no crowd. Um, so, you know, people can go and watch that. It's available if you're in the UK for free on the BBC. Um, I think it's on the FA player and the BT spot as well. So you can go and check that out. And hopefully, fingers crossed, before that, uh, before this weekend, I will launch a new channel. That's just, it's just between us guys. Uh, Bought from the Blue uh, fans. I'm hoping to launch a, a separate women's channel exclusively for women's uh, Manchester City women's football content and hopefully uh, in time for the FA Cup final this Sunday. So it's an exclusive for Bolt from On that bombshell, guys, on that bombshell, we bid you adieu for now. We'll be back with you very, very shortly. Keep your eyes open on Twitter for the next one uh, after this one. Um, And until then, as usual, have one on us and up the blues.